darkness, light. Two words that by themselves can generate strong reactions or emotions. Two words that can instantaneously activate memories, transporting us in a flashback to past experiences that were somewhere between mildly scary or truly terrifying, or, and maybe in some cases, and somewhere between simple relief and overwhelming joy. Darkness, light, from cardiac arrest to cardioversion, or to use the prophet Isaiah's words, from contempt to glory, from gloom and anguish to light and joy. Darkness, deep darkness, light, great light. The passages that you heard read earlier come from the Revised Common Lectionary, and are a portion of the full text for this, the third Sunday and the week after the Epiphany. Uh, Epiphany is this marvelous season of the church year in which we proclaim the identity of Christ. It is a season of worship as the whole world follows the wise men to find and honor Jesus. And as these selected readings hopefully hinted at, one of the major themes clearly woven into this feast and the season of Epiphany is that of light, or more specifically, of the coming of the light into the whole world. So this is the theme we hear resonating clearly in the four verses at the beginning of our English translations of chapter 9 of Isaiah's prophecy. Did you hear the contrast when it was being read, the dramatic movement from the former time to the latter time, from the deplorable, imminent condition then faced by the people of Israel, a condition of gloom and anguish and coming captivity, to the promised future restoration of those previously contemptuous lands of Zebulun and Naphtali that would someday become that glorious Galilee of the nations. A movement from a condition where people previously walked and lived in darkness to a glorious future where that darkness is dramatically dispelled because they have seen a great light and on them light has shined. I will briefly address two matters this morning that I believe will help us understand and apply uh, this morning's Isaiah text. The first is the broader context of which Isaiah 9, 1 through 4 is a part. And the second is the broader biblical understanding of the contrast between darkness and light. First, it's important to understand these opening verses of Isaiah 9 in the context of what the prophet says after that great chapter 6 vision in chapters 7 and 8. These beautiful words of promise stand in stark contrast to the prophet's proclamation in those two preceding chapters. For time's sake, I'll just use the last four verses of Isaiah 8 to help set that context for us. But note that this larger section of Isaiah 7 to 12 is really asking the big question of Israel and of King, of King Ahaz in the face of what appears will be an attack on Jerusalem and the kingdom by Kings Rezin and Pekah. Who are you going to call? Or more biblically, in whom are you going to trust? In this case, the two alternatives that the prophet clearly lays forth that they have to put their faith are God or, ironically, the Assyrians. And God, through his prophet, makes it clear that if King Ahaz and the people trust in Assyria, 
it will in fact be that very country that will lead to their complete downfall. So in Isaiah 8, 19 to 22, we read these words. Now, if people say to you, consult the ghosts and the familiar spirits that chirp and mutter, should not a people consult their gods, the dead on behalf of the living for teaching and for instruction? Surely those who speak like this will have no dawn. They will pass through the land greatly distressed and hungry. When they are hungry, they will be enraged and will curse their king and their gods. They will turn their faces upward or they will look to the earth, but will only see distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into thick darkness. This then is the despair in which the people of Israel find themselves and the condition to which the prophet speaks by the writer placing our words of hope here at the beginning of Isaiah chapter 9, sandwiched as they are between this scene of darkness brought on by trust in man and the continued words of judgment against Israel that pick back up again in Isaiah 9:8. But here the prophet does speak, and the words are pure balm to the soul of a country and of to a people. A wonderful word of hope that comes from the benevolent hand of God and that stands in stark contrast to the hopelessness of trusting in man. From our perspective looking back, this decision by Ahaz seems almost unthinkable. But as Dr. Oswalt reminds us when writing about this situation, when we cannot trust God, it suddenly makes good sense to trust our worst enemy. I think we need to hear, when we cannot trust God, it suddenly makes good sense to trust our worst enemy. Yet thanks be to God that he does not leave us in this humanly imposed condition of darkness in which we can often find ourselves without a lifeline, without hope, and without light. Our deep darkness does not have to be the final chapter, the humiliating end to what would otherwise be a depressing story. Into Israel's context and into the context and into our context, the prophet proclaims, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who have lived in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shined. The second matter is the biblical understanding of the contrast of darkness and light, and it's quite clear, pun intended. Light always... <laughs> Light always and absolutely overcomes and dispels darkness when it arrives. Think about it. Darkness in and of itself cannot ex extinguish light. When one goes into a dark room, the person has the ability through the simple movement of a switch from its downward position upward to, instantly, to instantaneously dispel the darkness that just a moment was the condition of that room. But I have not yet found anywhere, and I worked for a few years as an electrician way back, uh, any second, a second or separate darkness switch. Have you ever found a darkness switch in a home? The condition of darkness only exists when there is the absence or removal of light. And this was the condition of the land. And the people of, Is of, the, people of the prophet Isaiah was describing in the verses prior to the beginning of Isaiah chapter 9, a condition about which and into which the prophet proclaimed those profoundly forward-looking words in the first few verses of chapter 9. 
Those are the very words that the prophet, that the gospel writer sees being fulfilled in the brief passage we heard from Matthew chapter 4. He sees that Jesus' withdrawal into Galilee after hearing about John's arrest is the very act that fulfills the previous promise made that on this region, way up north there, that formerly had been under a deep shadow of death, a land that had only known deep darkness for hundreds of years, that to this land, a light, the light, was now dawning. The biblical message is that great light outshines deep darkness every time. The biblical message is that there is one way and one way only for our darkness to be dispelled, and that is through the coming of the light into that darkness. 1 John 1.5 tells us, This is the message that we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. And in the Gospel of John, ironically also chapter 1, verse 5, the writer proclaims, the light shines in the darkness, and many of you may know how to finish, and the darkness has not overcome it. Friends, the former time of gloom, anguish, and darkness that Isaiah previously pronounced is now past, and the latter time of great light that he proclaimed most certainly did arrive. The light made its initial appearance in that cave 2,000 years ago. It remains with us today in the form of the Comforter, his blessed Holy Spirit. And thanks be to God, that light is coming again for the final and the ultimate end to Satan's darkness. So as we now find ourselves a little more than three weeks into this new year, an important question worth asking seems to be prompted by the prophet's proclamation. What is your darkness? What is my darkness? In what situation of gloom and anguish, sadness and despair, uncertainty and unsettledness, do we find ourselves that desperately needs a great light to shine in on it and to dispel that deep darkness? There was a lot of talk as 2016 was ending about what a challenging uh, year it was. I don't know if any of you since that, I don't know if that was your experience, whether it was the uh, raucous uh, political campaigns and what seemed to leave us in an increasingly, maybe even permanent partisan divide among many fellow Americans, the violence that continues to erupt within our cities and our towns right here recently, a uh, 15-year-old boy killed by an 18-year-old boy uh, in Nicholasville, Terrorist attacks around the globe, the continually growing awareness of the millions and millions of fellow human beings living in pervasive and paralyzing poverty, sickness, and despair. Or maybe hitting closer to home the real challenges that can invade our friendships, our marriages, and our other personal relationships. Any or all of these and more can either quickly or much more subtly cause the light to be withdrawn and, and the deep darkness to descend again and take root. So what is your darkness? Where do you need a great light to shine into your life today? From our Old Testament text, we see these results of God's light. One, it can release our fears. The Lord is my light. Whom shall I fear? Of whom shall I be afraid? Two, it breaks our bondage. Do you have bondage that you need broken? 
For the yoke of their burden and the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor, you have broken. And three, it brings us, or it can bring us, great joy. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as people exult when dividing the plunder. Someone I was reading suggested that it may be more difficult for us in our modern world, world to fully grasp the contrast between darkness and light than it was for those living in the times these scriptures were, were written. Without artificial light, they existentially understood and lived deeply rooted in the contrast between the two. Maybe that's why today we see well-meaning quotes in places like Facebook, such as the one I saw recently. The dark, this is what it said, the dark does not destroy the light. Okay, so far so good. It defines it. Well, I think I may understood what the person meant, and I'm sure they were trying to be very positive and uplifting. Let me say this biblically. Light always defines and dispels darkness, not the other way around. The darkness does not define the light. The light defines the darkness. I close with this. Dr. Oswald also wrote this about Isaiah 9, verse 1. When every human attempt to bring the light has failed, then God will bring light. Not because he must, not because human craft has discovered the key to force him, but merely out of his own good grace. So as we come to the table this morning, uh, I invite you to bring your darkness with you and let the light of the world, the word that became flesh, shine anew and afresh into your heart and into your life. Let him dispel your darkness even as you come. Thanks be to God.